Hi, and welcome to Mad Beast, the Australian rollerblading podcast. This is the much-delayed and anticipated part five of my interview with Ian Smith, where we talk about lots of stuff, including X Games in Australia, skating Solomons, and uh, being on the Arnott's Shapes Extreme team. Enjoy. So, um, so last time we were talking, we you'd been back and forth several times. You'd gone over to America first time around, come back, gone over again, and then gone to Europe, right? Yeah. Um, and as we got to the end of that, you said the next season, you know, things get a little bit darker. You know, things change, evolve, and so have you got a way into that next phase? Is there a next kind of defining event for you in that sort of I don't know ninety eight sort of time? Well. Um no, not really. It, it was kind of everything uh, to do with inline skating other than, like, well, from the, the going up part was all very, very fast-paced and um, yeah. all on point. Like, you could you could pinpoint a date, which is why it's quite easy to do. But then after sort of the point where we're at, it all sorts of starts to blend together and there's no, like, definite things... Uh, there's uh, events that occur, but it's not like a big earth-shattering, ah, oh, and it was over, because it's just mm. not like that. And I think that's sort of um, true for the whole, you know, inline skating in general. Um, there were uh, iconic moments, but um, there's no big point in say, oh, there you go, inline skating's quote-unquote dead or whatever. Mm. And... Um, yeah, it was for for me the the start of when it started to come down was coming into the millennium. And yep. um, well, before we go on to negative, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. can, is there um, uh, like I feel like we kind of were going into the rise, and we talked a lot about your experience in that. But could we just give a couple of soundings on uh, late nineties, early two thousands? Were there just from your point of view, um, particular whether it's uh, skate technology, trick development, or just personalities that for you, you know, were kind of key things? Like, just let's talk positive. Because I mean, yeah, yeah, things yeah. were still developing oh, look, um, in a big way, right? And that was a bit of a golden age in terms of development um, yeah. in a whole bunch of areas. So were there any highlights for you in those three areas in terms of the skates, in terms of people, in terms of the tricks that you kind of went, oh, that was, that was a moment? Well, look, there was with everything. And at the time, <laughs> you know, I was solid with Rosas and loved skating them and so every single version of uh, every skate they brought out I had to have and luckily I was mm. able to get that um, that was never an issue um, and even uh, rolling on through the, the end of the 90s um, if I can go back to sort of the storyline because I, yep. I have written myself a few notes I can easily keep it on with that um, I was skating on Kryptonics, uh, sponsored by them. Uh, still with uh, Rose's International and um, loving life, living five nights a week out of my friend's place, who's living in Manly because we used to go down to the skate park there like every single day. And um, so it was getting harder and harder because my father lived in Western Sydney and, you know, even though it's the same city, you're talking about an hour's drive or an hour and yeah. a half, depending on traffic, just getting from uh, where I wanted to be to where my parents lived. And so, um, like I said, I was living at my friend's place. Uh, Brad Timmons spent a lot of time with that young man. And um, 
yeah, we'd go out and skate on a, a Thursday night, sort of Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, like that's what we did. And um, so I sort of had to give my, my dad the the hard word on uh, working with him because I was still working with him at the time. Mm. And, um, he'd enrolled me in a, a carpentry and joinery apprenticeship and um, I was sort of two-thirds of the way through it and I'm like, Dad, no, sorry, it's just not my thing. And um, so I sort of left that uh, and, you know, for a little while I tried uh, doing a, a bit of a commute, but, um, yeah, it wasn't for me. Um, and I noticed at the time uh, with skaters that there was a lot of skaters who seemed to be uh, talking about how they had managers or they had people who were managing their contracts and that sort of stuff. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know, to me it wasn't that sort of uh, a thing. I don't know, maybe I was naive or the I enjoyed the fact that there was no rules to skating. I could go and do what I wanted when I wanted and, you know, the competitions and all that sort of stuff is what I wanted to do. So when someone said, can you go here and do this, that's what I wanted to do anyway. So I was like, oh, yeah. And most of it were opportunities. Um, so I never felt bad about having to um, to do anything for a company. Mm. Um, but when it came to, you know, management, um, you had uh, several uh, skaters have uh, parents or relatives doing management and there were several management companies that specifically handled uh, rollerbladers and um, I knew quite a few on there but it just wasn't something that I was into Um, and I did at the time sort of think hey maybe I'm leaving myself out here but whatever and um, this is the time moving into 98 where um, uh, street started becoming like this huge thing. It wasn't just sort of something you could do. Grind plates were evolving past the um, the H plate, you know. Uh, we had yeah. Senate came out with their wrenches mm. that were literally an evolution of a skateboard wrench that just so happened to be jammed in the side of your, your skate and fit perfectly between the two bolts. And, um, yeah, they turned into some really cool grind plates. We had all sorts of stuff off that 50, 50 and, you know, some great, uh, grind plates that really opened up, uh, what you could do had, uh, people doing the, um, the more of the backsliding tricks. Um, the majestic 12 had really evolved into something beautiful and you could, uh, really get some big grooves on skates. You had, uh, street skaters, uh, really evolving, and um, how? How? I mean, could you on the Majestic Twelves at that kind of time skate a flat setup and still have a passable groove, or did you really have to have an anti-rocker setup to make it doable for um, street skating? Yeah, it's it wasn't really passable. It was. Uh, I mean, I look at. I've recently looked at a couple of photos of myself from back then, and I was anti-rocker. I had the Kryptonic boulders on the outside and the pebbles in the middle. I uh, can't remember the, the exact millimetre of the pebbles, a 48 or something, but the 72 mm. mils on the outside. And, um, yeah, that was pretty much the only way if you wanted to do any grinding uh, and yep. still have speed. Because, yeah, riding a flat 62 like we learnt to, 
back in the day just didn't cut it. It meant that you had very little groove. You could grind, uh, but you're pretty much sliding. You end up with that squeaky, you know, rubbing polystyrene sound. Yeah. And uh, not yeah. going anywhere. Um, uh, but uh, for me at the time, it's, uh, I had a bit of notoriety with, uh, with the, the locals. Um, walking around the street, there were quite a few people, you know, rollerblading was huge. This was the boom time in 97, 98, 99. Mm. And, um, so I would sort of be recognized by people who I don't know. And, you know, my, my mother would mention, Hey, you know, this lady that I work with says that her son talks about you and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. And, um, so it was quite mm. a, an interesting time, um, for, I mean, clearly not just me, but, you know, the industry was so uh, prolific at the time that um, it really uh, made us sort of, you know, just kids being thrust into the spotlight um, quite unwittingly. Uh, <coughs> uh, but at the time, like I said, stopped working with my father but still needed money. <coughs> so I uh, started working at a place called Vertex uh, in Tarrant Point. Mm. And um, so this was an indoor skate park, and it was brilliant. Um, one of the best vert ramps uh, still that I can remember skating it was the one where we would go and, you know, the the whole point was to try and kick the bell, get as high as Sessa could skate. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So skating there, one of my uh, one of my skater friends, uh, a younger uh, two brothers there. Their mother had an interest in uh, the skate park and she liked me and wanted to get somebody on board to help her with things, so asked me to come along and, and give her a hand. Actually, on your bell kicking, just really quick, I think yeah. uh, I don't know if you're up to speed on the little bits of podcast I've been doing in between things, but mm-hmm. a thing that uh, was a little penny drop moment for me just recently was realising that I had I wasn't looking where I wanted to fly to yeah. in a in trying to air and mm-hmm. and I mean you'd said that bell kicking thing and when that penny dropped for me I suddenly went oh that's what you were talking about <laughs> that other yeah. time we were talking is is I've got to actually be looking kind of where my I want my head to be rather than kind of looking where I want my you know what I mean like I you know like if I even want to get two feet up I've got to be looking a fair way up you know out of the thing and that just really it was weird how that changed the whole way I was my whole approach quite oh, right. a lot. Yeah, it's definitely true, and um, yeah. I mean, I could. There's there's a big conversation to be had about that, uh, but there's a, a huge thing in inline skating, definitely, and uh, it's true with all the sports. I've I've done the BMX thing and the skateboard thing, and mm. your body will go where your head is pointing. Mm. So yeah. yeah, if you want to go high, you cannot get to the coping and quickly look down. You have to actually be facing up and almost looking up at least until you've left the ramp. And if you're aiming at something, uh, not necessarily on a vert ramp, but you're on a box jump or something like that, like clearly you can't look it's off forced, to the yeah. side if you want to be, yeah. you know, landing on the, the jump ramp at the at the landing ramp on the end of it. Or um, yeah. if there's a gap or something like that, you aim, you look at the gap, and that's it. And, uh, and it really helps you when you're spinning. If you want mm. to do a, a 360... You turn your head first and look look almost behind yourself, and allow yes. your head to come around. Your head is the first thing that makes the full turn, and then mm. your head actually guides your feet where to land. You spot your landing first. So yeah. um, some of the hardest tricks uh, 
bad example, but a vert one is a front flip, are the ones where you can't see until the last second. Because yeah. things like uh, a backflip, for example, are really easy because you spot your landing well before yep. anything else happens. Some of my uh, my favorite tricks, the yeah, the backflip, the fakey 540, <clears throat> fakey bio or forwards misty flip, I find them really easy because you can spot the landing so early that you have uh, literally a second or two to work out where mm. you want to go. So if you need to put your hands out, suck it in, whatever. Yeah, so head first, look where you want to go, and uh, yeah, the rest is up to your body. Yeah, uh, but good, with those two anyway. things, you're on the track. <clears throat> yeah. Vertex, so, yep. Yeah, working at Vertex, and that was cool. It was a great, great time um, doing that sort of stuff. Had uh, a lot of time with Matt Salerno, was uh, a local, so we spent a lot of time together. Um, he'd come in and skate all day and I'd take breaks and all that sort of stuff and we'd be skating together. And uh, I remember one day we were skating there and Matt was mentioning how he saw this kid uh, the day before, came in and I should come watch him. So I came in, um, and had a look at this kid and he was just had the butter, just this cream style. <laughs> it was just like he wasn't doing anything ridiculous but he just had this style, and I'm like, this is beautiful. I just, you know, he wasn't really impressing me trick-wise or anything, but, yeah, and I'm like, who's this kid? Oh, it's Blake, Blake Dennis. I'm going, oh, cool. Yeah, and um, so met him uh, yep. in 98, uh, skating Vertex, and, um, yeah. yeah, and you could tell, like, yeah. It was quite easy early on to see just the um, just the fluidity, mm. um, and yeah, uh, if as, as long as he put effort into it, he was going places, and yeah, it's an X factor there you can kind of pick. He clearly did, yeah. Oh, mm. I don't know. Guess sometimes you can just see it, and that was mm. one of those things when like, yeah, that's one. Because I'm sure you've seen both, right? There are some who've got that natural thing. Mm. And then, as you say, as long as they put work into it, they've got it. And then there are others who may not have that, but are just bloody hard workers and pull it all together. I and uh, you can get to a similar place, but from different natural sort of yeah. makeup. And I have thought about that in the past. Um, how I've, yeah. I've had friends who haven't been that great. And, you know, I've I'm try to be uh, pretty fair with everybody and give them a, mm. a fair go and, and try and help and encourage and that sort of stuff. And some people... Um, require a little bit more encouragement but um i have seen some people who i've just gone like yeah i know what he wants to do but um mm. it seems to take them a lot longer but then over the course of a significant amount of time you know years usually um they can get to where they want to go if they're willing to put in the effort and mm. um you know everybody has a different view of, of what their dream is how they see themselves what they want out of the activity they're doing and um yeah i'm i really do believe like within limits that um if you want to do something you just have to actually try it might take you a bit longer than others but you got to yeah, try but yeah. um <clears throat> yeah uh about the mid uh, 1998 i had uh, a um a trip over to new zealand for the new zealand nationals uh Races flew me over there. It was really cool. Um, I was over with uh, John Julio 
and um, Arlo. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I went over and I met some of the nicest people and saw this gorgeous country. Um, mm. One of the guys who I was there was actually staying at, um, at his house, uh, lent me his car. He trusted me <laughs> clearly off the bat straight away. So um, we got to drive around uh, the country, go into different skate parks and that sort of stuff. And um, then it's so, what are those two guys like? Um, like you see, they're public personalities. Are they obviously just like an absolutely magnetic kind of show pony in terms of public kind of stuff? And then Julio, much more of a cool cat. Uh, what are they like in terms of relating to as um, as kind of peers? Well, look, I I really found them to be almost exactly like their their public persona. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Yeah. Now, Arlo, quite articulate and um, and intelligent in you know his conversations and his his words, and um, yeah, not uh, too boisterous in any uh, any means when um, you know in the interactions that we had. But you know, we did a little uh, skate preview. They had a, a video that they were um, they were premiering uh, in the states uh, that same time. So we got a, a bunch of a couple of dozen guys around to somebody's house who had a nice big TV and watched a, a skate video, and um, yeah, had a few drinks and chatted. And it was cool. Nice one. Uh, but yeah, when it came to to skating, they were what you saw. They were encouraging. Whenever you know anybody was doing yeah. something good, it was yeah, pretty much what you see. And um, awesome. yeah, Julio was the the same, um, mm. a bit quieter. But um, yeah, I yeah, I would uh, have no problems um, speaking to him again. He was yeah, he was great. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, living out of uh, my friend's place, Brad Timmons. And uh, skating every day uh, on the the Manly Bowl, and um, also out at uh, Alambi Vert, and um, doing a lot of television shoots. Um, mm. Was still doing some things for um, for the odd TV show, Water Rats, some you know Australian <laughs> TV, <laughs> and uh, Home and Away sort of stuff on the northern beaches. Uh, I remember doing some uh, advertising. Uh, Move Milk was an interesting one. They, um, because you know this is the the time before you know miniaturized cameras, so they wanted to put a camera, uh, a cinema quality camera, attached to my helmet, and uh, which is fine. It weighed about two kilos. So it wasn't ridiculous, but the thing is they wanted it on the side of my head, which meant they had to counterbalance it, so they put two kilos of weights on my other. So now I've got nearly five kilos of stuff on my head, and they're like, yeah, cool, now go do an air. <laughs> like, mm. okay. Um, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while without five kilos on my head. So um, um, it was interesting. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a, quite a cool ad. The the point of having a camera on my head was it was from the the perspective of someone with a a move container, and they were on a surfboard at the start, and you could see them holding it, and then they would go to drink it, and then they pull it like it was a first person, so they drink it, and it gets in their face, and then they pull it away, and now they're sitting on the beach, and then they put it in their face again, and they're skating along the the boardwalk, and um, then they're skating on the the ramp, so it's a point of view of the ramp and then as I came to 
back into the ramp from an air. It was dropping into somebody's hand. So it was quite an interesting um, experience and, uh, yeah, uh, a few days of shooting on Bondi Beach no one can really complain about. Yeah, yeah. a lot easier nowadays with a GoPro. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you don't even feel it when you've got a GoPro on your head. But, um, <laughs> yeah, well, there was a, a lot of different tricks like that. Um, I know we had a few videos coming out about that time. I remember Crank wasn't too far out of that genre. And um, he shot most of that on uh, a film camera as well. And, yeah. uh, I mean, we didn't have to wear the film camera at any point. Um, but, yeah, that's why uh, Crank specifically doesn't have any sound because uh, yeah, they didn't use a sound crew because uh, that was the quality of film they wanted. Uh, but it meant you get yeah. some pretty cool... Um, cool cinematic shots um that you know now we dub off vhs and look terrible yeah uh, yeah it looked great at the time um and then later in the year was the st kilda uh pretty sure it was a nationals um another really cool comp with we had all sorts of people there um tied chris uh yeah. popping up on the scene um it was a, a Josh Clark dominated street, um, and yeah, it uh, it was party central. We were partying like we probably shouldn't have been. Um, yeah. Yes, I remember parties after after parties, which were a bit much, and that sort of uh, summed up '98. It was uh, a party year, lots of skating. Lots of demonstrations. Um, me working part time for this lady who just liked me at a skate park, and um, yeah, so I decided to to move closer. So I moved out of my house and moved into Manly. So I was living on the northern beaches, which made it even easier for me to skate every single day. And uh, then uh, coming out of '98, I got. Uh, sponsored by Shapes, uh, which was a different one. Mm. Uh, yeah, at the time, I sort of got it, I was referred uh, by Matt Solano as uh, another rollerblader that he wanted to um, to stay sort of close to and skate with, and so Matt was on the Shapes team and I was, and then uh, a couple of uh, skateboarders and BMX riders, and we would do, uh, we were set to do demonstrations mostly, uh, but also, uh, you know, they set us up as the Shapes Extreme Team and um, <laughs> they would, you know, hand out uh, some product and stickers and that sort of stuff at uh, at demonstrations. So we did demos on Manly Beach. Um, remember skating the, the mini ramp with uh, all the girls walking around the bottom of the ramp, handing out product and, you know, up the top, we're standing up there with models and photographers and there was TV cameras and it was all quite surreal and banners everywhere. Uh, so classy. Yeah, uh, but I mean, that's that's kind of where it was going. And yeah, yeah moving into um, uh, 99, uh, it sort of stayed with that. We, uh, Shapes, uh, decided to, to invest some money and then they started paying us. And um, so we were being paid to do demonstrations. We did the the big day out and the warp tour, 
um, all through Australia because um, uh, uh, Roosters were sort of started concentrating more on street. I believe that was the year they picked up um, Blake. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Cecil was still going well. I think uh, Toby Heslop was doing a bunch of stuff with them as well. And uh, so they had their international team was uh, Cesar and Tim Ward uh, for, for Vert, and they weren't really pushing Vert too much. So um, we weren't getting sent overseas uh, to do the, the normal uh, skate competitions that we were beforehand. Uh, but we kept ourselves plenty busy uh, with demonstrations. We had uh, Manly Blades demos constantly through summer and um yeah i remember doing the easter show we did uh, demonstrations at luna park uh bill had this uh portable vert ramp and uh you know how big a, a trailer is um so that sort of same width uh two of those pretty much side by side like uh, uh stuck together and that was pretty much the width of this vert ramp because that's how it got around. It was two trailers. And uh, we did demos in front of the Opera House. We did Manly Beachfront. Um, we did, yeah, Luna Park. Uh, we did all sorts of remote ones. I was getting sent around to different parts of Australia. I went to Griffith and all these uh, little country towns doing demos for people. Yep. Um, it was very, very cool. Um, but, uh, you know, I was finding it more difficult to, uh, to pay bills now that I'd moved out. So I was paying rent and that sort of stuff. So I was sort of hitting my, um, my boss up for more money. And, uh, then, uh, unfortunately my boss was working at Vertex, uh, was in a car accident and passed away. Oh no. No, it was not a good day. Um, I was actually at work at the time. I just said uh, goodbye to her and her partner. And uh, she was driving home and about five minutes away on a bridge. Yeah, she had an accident and she didn't survive. Her partner did survive. Um, But, uh, yeah, that meant that that job was not going to last. Um, Yeah, yeah, the... um, the, her, her partner, who now had a, an interest in the skate park as well, um, decided to to buy out the the full park. But then he had some leftover injuries and uh, had to sell the park, uh, or at least give it up. It wasn't making money, and that was his thing. Uh, whereas the the original owner lady uh, bought it. Basically, she had some money from. Uh, various places and uh, she bought it because she her kids enjoyed it and um so that was her interest in it but once that was over yeah it kind of stopped so here i was needing more money and uh you know demos were only paying so much and uh yeah now without a job so um i was talking to one of the the owners of the the company he was doing the promotions that got me the shapes job. And um, and he was like, yeah, I work for this flower company. You can come and do bits and pieces for us. We've always got things that need doing and deliveries and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, yep, okay, whatever. 
<laughs> um, so I started doing bits and pieces with him uh, during the day. Started doing uh, deliveries of flowers, which was interesting. Basically, just driving boxes around the country, yeah, all around the city, um, and then uh, skating on the weekends. Uh, got picked up by Cosmo, which was nice uh, on flow from them. Um, cause yeah, the Kryptonics thing was getting old. They were sort of not evolving as we thought they should. Um, what, had, what ball did they drop? What were they not evolving? Uh, well, there was companies coming out, uh, like FR and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, other, uh, hyper, uh, companies who were creating better wheels. And yep. uh, they just sort of seemed to be a bit stagnant. And, um, yeah, it just wasn't happening. And yep. you could not argue with Cosmo. Um, uh-huh. I'd used them several times before. And, um, yeah, on, yeah it, was, it was too easy to say, okay, yep, I'll do a switch. So um, moved over to Cosmo, Cosmo which was nice. Um, also... Uh, strictly speaking, I was still contracted with Roses, uh, but I was uh, also talking with Solomon, and um, yep. had uh, I was basically on flow. I could organise myself skates whenever that was necessary, and um, had a couple that they were just like, yeah, you know, if you want to use these, you can use them. So, um, yeah had the the old STs and the ST1s and um yeah some of the the most comfortable beautiful skates that uh yeah still that I can ever I mean remember. that I I'd never skated Solomon's but but it, that seemed to be widely talked about as kind of you know a great skate or the greatest skate and all this kind of stuff by a lot of people who did use them well, back then they had this very very similar shell to to mm. the Roses to the M12 sort of shell but then their liner, um, I don't know if they did this everywhere or if it happened over time, but I would always remember when you get a new Solomon, they have this comfort fit liner. And uh, mm. Bill down at Manly Blades would, for every customer who had this comfort fit liner, he had this special machine. It was basically like a hair dryer that would blow hot air into the, um, the inner boot and you'd sit it there for 10 minutes and then you'd put your feet into the inner boot and it would mould to your foot. Yeah, okay. So it literally, like, it's not just like over time, it'll start to feel better. You won't get any blisters once you've skated in it for a few weeks. It was like that day, they are now the same shape as your feet. <laughs> and yeah, it, you could not complain about them. Um, some of the, the biggest, stupidest gaps I did were in those. And um, yep. yeah, literally, because it was so much easier to, um, to not injure yourself. Because uh, you weren't worried about a heel shim or anything. You knew that your whole foot was landing at the same time. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Awesome. <coughs> and uh, uh, also later on that year was the uh, Queensland Gold Coast Planet X Games. So Planet X, um, I think off the success of the Extreme Games in America... Uh, I don't know if uh, it was actually organising at all, forgive my ignorance, uh, Skate Australia or something like that, but um, uh, they would get sponsors. Uh, that one was PlayStation, so it was the PlayStation Planet X Games, and then do inline uh, skateboard 
BMX and motocross and yep. do the, the whole X Games thing. And it was cool. And usually the, the prize was uh, significant and generally involved a trip overseas. And I'm pretty sure it was the, the standard winners with that sort of competition that Matt was first, you know, Salerno winning and then Sessa and um, on street you had uh, Tim Ward and uh, Josh uh, Clark smashing it. It was always yep. going to be that. Um, and that sort of rounded out the end of the millennium. Bad Beef Rollerblading Podcast is produced by Mikey Lynch, theme music by Edifice Architect. You can find us on Facebook and SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have any questions, comments, requests or podcast contributions, please message us on Facebook. To support the podcast, find us on Patreon and pledge a once-off or regular contribution. Even just two bucks a month, every little bit helps. See you later.